Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. We're recording this one straight after City beat Crystal Palace 4-0 in the Premier League on Sunday evening or at some point on Sunday, depending on where in the world you're listening to the podcast. Um, big shout out to Charles Louis Group, an advisory business who support the podcast. Really appreciate their help. They advise on development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company, offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer, moving home mortgages, but they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. So if you want any help, if, if that's something that once we're out of lockdown or even right now you're thinking about doing or you're planning on doing, then give them a call. You can find them on the website. Uh, charleslouis.co.uk. They're a local company to the Manchester area and their CEO, Dave, is a City fan. So that's all you need to know, really. So contact them. Um, now, tonight, um, the, the guests are two of the regulars. Although, really, the third one is, has been on before, so you could almost call him a semi-regular. Uh, but we've got Louisa, we've got Paul, and we have Andrew, who's with us as well tonight. So welcome to all three of you, and thanks very much for being part of the Forever Blue podcast. We start straight after the game against Crystal Palace, so what be better place to start than after that victory? Um, fantastic goals, great delivery from Kevin De Bruyne with outside of his right foot, quite rightly highlighted by the television commentators. John Stones bagging a couple of goals after the, the rough ride that he's had for two or three years. I'm not sure he's really being tested that much defensively at the moment, but certainly going forward and in terms of his confidence and the way he carries himself, you can see that he has grown in confidence uh, and is a, a, a much better version of himself than he was a couple of years ago. But perhaps we'll expand on that. Uh, also very impressed, as you know, by uh, Ilkay Gundogan, who scored a spectacular goal into the top corner, a player I've, I've always been full of praise for. But if I had to pick out one player, it would be Fernandinho, who uh, last season when uh, Rodri first came in and Fernandinho was playing as a centre-back or playing in other positions, um, I felt that City lost a little bit. Brilliant team that City are, brilliant that we are in all competitions. And, uh, you know, if we don't win every competition, we're right there at the death of every competition. But I felt that the difference between being the magnificent team of the two years previously to last season when it turned out it was just the League Cup was Fernandinho being in his natural habitat, as it were. I think it's very significant that Fernandinho played in that position against Manchester United at Old Trafford. And today, in arguably, when we'll see at the end of them, of these three league games at home back-to-back, -back, the game in midweek against Brighton, next week Villa, of course, and this game against Crystal Palace, I would argue, but you can shoot me down, you three, that this was the game that Pep Guardiola thought could be the toughest of the three. And I think it's highly significant that... Um, Fernandinho played in his natural position and Rodri didn't play. Uh, that Riyad Mahrez wasn't playing. He's had a lot of stick, although he has his good moments and his bad moments like some other players, but not consistently showing the, the quality that perhaps Bernardo is starting to show now and certainly the quality that we see from one or two other players. So those are the players I'd pick out. Um, and albeit that we continue to see games in an artificial atmosphere and certainly once City take control, they slow the game down and just, just manage the games, which I'm not sure if I was there at the game uh, regularly that I would be, I'd be wanting to come on, get on with it and, and be a bit more positive even, even when you're winning. But that's really, you know, nitpicking because uh, City were magnificent against Crystal Palace. So, Let's start with uh, with the, the new boy, if you want to call him that, Andrew. Um, tell us your verdict on that Crystal Palace game and whether or not what I've just said is fair. No, it's fair, a fair comment. Um, Crystal Palace, last couple of games, have caused us a lot of problems. Um, I always look at teams that are symbolic when we win silverware. Palace, obviously, going back to 2014 when we went there and did the business after Liverpool had lost. It's just like Everton, Newcastle, the symbolic. Palace are really good side. I thought Brighton the other day were really good. Southampton, fantastic sides. The media will 
again, I don't like to talk about I have to make reference to this massive derby that happened today across the way. They're not that good. We played better teams than I saw at half past four today. And we played two of them in the last two games we played. The media will make out that other clubs are better than us. Palace are a really good side. There's lots of good sides in this division this season. And we're coming to the fall. That was not an easy game. That was no way an easy game. And I said before the start of the game that I hope we go out and make a statement. You know, playing second, you know, you have the kind of hors d'oeuvres and we are the main course kind of thing. And um, we did it at Chelsea. We're making statements. We've gone to Old Trafford, made a statement. They will look at us. They'll have to watch Manchester City as per usual because we are the best team in England consistently for 10 years. And we've made a statement today. We're keeping clean sheets. I mean, they were talking about Liverpool and they were trying to make out that United's game was, you know, a tactical defensive masterclass. It was a ball draw. We're watching defensive masterclasses week in and week out. John Stones has just put the ball in the net twice. His first goals for City. John Stones, to me, I won't say the exact words that Pep Guardiola said, but he's got bigger than anybody. And he's proved it. I said it when Pablo Zabaleta uh, played his last game. I said he epitomises Manchester City. And John Stones epitomises Manchester City. We never know when we're beaten. We might be down, but we'll always come back. And John Stones has done that because people were writing him off. I said, when we played Wolves, I said, it's a big season for Johnny Stones. Do the business, mate. And he's done it. He's superb. Best player in England at the moment. But we have the best players in England. You know, you can talk about penalty takers over the road. Not about them. It's about people who do the business week in, week out. And that's what Manchester City do. People write us off. They always write us off. I mean, some Blues write us off. You know, uh, you know, we do have a, a negative attitude at times, but we're consistent. We've got the best manager in the world. We've got the best players in the world. The silverware speaks for itself. We do it all the time and we'll continue to do it. Write us off. We, I'm happy that we're going under the radar. I'm loving it because we're Manchester City. We, we have something that nobody else has and we'll always have that. That's how I feel. It's what it is. It's only a few weeks ago that I think if you'd have asked most City fans who their first choice central defender is, um, they would have said Laporte. And then when Diaz came in, a lot of people started to talk about him. So it'll be an interesting debate as we go along as to where we stand with that with that opinion. Um, but let's let's bring in the other two to talk about the, the game to begin with. What about you, Louisa? Um well, I think that um, Pep's been listening to our podcast and he's been listening to me uh, because I've been harping on for weeks saying that we need to surprise the opposition with something new and something different, you know, which is how Pep started way back when. And everybody started to read us and knew what we were going to do. And that just wasn't working anymore. And I've been going on saying he needs to change something, do something. And today it was... Um, as managers go if he planned what happened today and I'm sure he did it wasn't an accident it was absolute genius what happened today um started off obviously Palace close marking very physical uh beginning to that match they were containing us as much as they could they were closing ranks at the back they were playing really well um and uh we were matching them don't get me wrong um we were fast paced back to the one touch you know instead of this messing around a million passes to each other and million touches of the foot before they pass it control um there was a, a massive onslaught of just firing the balls towards the net you know my dad's always been one that says you don't shoot you don't score and he's absolutely right and City are very very guilty of being right in front of the goal and still passing it to the side and passing it to the other side instead of actually going for the net which is right in front of them and that's what they did today hard work they were relentless um, they, they've got some fantastic goals enviable goals 
um, switching around the play. The commentators did mention it in the very end. I was waiting for them to jump on it because I'd, I'd noticed it in the first half that Zinchenko and Stones were switching around anyway. They were switching positions, so they were confusing the, the heck out of them. Then one minute Zin, Zinni's back at the back, and then the next minute is right up the side of the field again, and that's how he plays best. But what the difference was with Fernandinho was, yes, the position he played in, he was pushing the back the, that line forward all the time. I, I don't know the stats of the first half, but we had to have played most of that first half in Palace's half because he was pushing that line up. There was no need to rely on the, on the, the guys at the back. No need, because Fernandinho was right up there. He made a couple of ropey you know, dodgy things and he was pushed off the ball a few times. Um, but to keep that line up, then allowed all the other players to keep pushing the ball up. But Zinni on one side, uh, Bernardo on the other, Bernardo almost back to his best with all that little buzzing around that he does, flipping, spinning, kicking the ball out to everybody. And then you've got the guys nicely in the middle. I've still got a bit of a beef with Sterling. I was going to have a massive onslaught of negativity about him today, but he scored, so I've got to be a bit careful. Um, but, you know, I still think I'm not quite trusting him on the ball at the minute. Uh, you know, he's still being a bit ropey. I do prefer him on the right. I do think he plays better on the right for some reason. Um, but he's a bit inconsistent. Don't trust him with that ball. It's almost like he can't feed it through. Takes too many touches still. Loses it quite a lot. Um, I think he's better off with a one touch. And I think he needs to do a bit of training on that, Pep, if you're listening. Thank you very much. Thank me later. Um, yeah, Gundogan. Wow. You know, this physical presence we need on the pitch. We needed it today with Palace because they're a physical team. Great team anyway. Uh, you know, so that that's my bit for now. I'll let Paul have a do. Go on then, Paul. Over to you. There's not there's not much to say really after that. That was a better summary than what I've been watching on the television these days. Um, just before the uh, the Liverpool game come on, I was watching um, uh, on Channel Four. It's called Location, Location, Location. Um, and the thing the thing that that, that got me today on is. is City is all about tempo, tempo, tempo. And if we can get that tempo like it was today, week in, week out, like we've been playing over the last few seasons, that's the key to it. Teams can't live with us. Teams can't live with us. That lot across the road, I said this the other week, the, 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 I always say the league, never, league table never lies. I'm wrong. It does. Liverpool and United are flattering to deceive at the moment. Um, you know, old rat face said if he hasn't if he hasn't got a penalty to score or somebody to fall over, he's he disappears. I've seen him play. I, I, again, this is a city podcast, this, but I like to have a bit of a dig at the rags when when I can. Um, you know, there was a lot of city fans who were sort of saying, "Oh, who would you prefer to to win, Liverpool or United?" It's a no brainer that one. You know, unless you unless you're 15 year old, you, you don't want you don't want the rags winning. You know, they made my made my life a misery when I was a kid. Didn't go to school on a Monday when we got dicked by him again. So, you know, it's, it's, it's simple. That today proved, I watched both matches, just because I wanted to see, because I was on this tonight, I wanted to see the difference in the golfing class. And it was unbelievable. That was like reminding me today, the Sky setup should have been advertised as, you know, like the little kids come out before the big game at uh, when you were at school, the younger team came out. It was like that today. United in the uh, in Liverpool with a curtain raiser. And, and you know what I mean? It, it, the, the fans, if they were still awake to watch us play, would have been sat there thinking, oh my God, they opened this game. We, we could have produced a right load of rubbish and it has still been better than what they produced today. So, yeah. The summary off the two other guys is, is absolutely bang on. Um, I think we need to get Gundo on this podcast because I think we've been championing that man since uh, I think Harlan said episode three we we started uh, championing him and we've we we all have we all have to be honest on this and the reason being is because we all understand football we don't get um, we don't get mugged off by listening to pundits and listening to idiots on uh, social media. We actually understand football. You know, we might not be able to put it off in, in such big words as what, uh, you know, some of the other podcasts and some of the other 
um, you know, TV programs do. But you know, we put it across as as we see it, and we're honest with it. And you know, Gundo for me is a class act. You don't win, you don't win World Cups and stuff like that playing the German side and not be, you know, be an idiot. So yeah, great performance. Cheered me right up this weekend. That did. And obviously, Andrew, one of the reasons why I like getting you on the podcast is because <laughs> I follow you on social media and you're never frightened of having an opinion. Yeah, well, um, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm banned on two accounts. So, but yeah, I'll be back soon. <laughs> I, I, assume Gund- I assume you are a you know a proper football fan. I assume Gundogan has, has always been somebody that you've, you've thought was better. There have been some people out there knocking him in the past, haven't there? Yeah, well, he's... Um... He's one of those city, we've always had a whipping boy, Gundogan. If he don't play well, he gets the grief. But you're seeing, you're seeing his class. And it's funny, it come upon my memories, 11 years ago, I think it was, um, with Roberto Mancini signed Patrick Vieira, his first signing. And I, he used to get a lot of grief. You know, he was an ageing legend, but he was, he was very influential and I think, I can't remember who Pellegrini's first signing was, but Pep's first signing was Gungawan, officially, you know, obviously, probably players he pointed out before, but his official first signing was Ilkay, and he, he he backs him 100%, and we need to, but it's just like, he said he likes to do the stuff that other people don't like to do, and he sacrifices his own ability for the team, and that's what Pep said the other day. He's a team player, so that's why it's like, well, what's Gundogan done? What's he done? That's what fans will say. Um, and Paul, what Paul said before was, you know, I've seen people say, who would you prefer to win the league? After 14 games, United or Liverpool, I was like, when was the league decided in November or December? Honestly, some City fans need to get a grip. You know what I mean? I know I have to go on with myself, but there's not a better team in the world than Manchester City. And I'm this genuinely the media will big up other clubs because they need to, because it's about subscriptions. That's not slanderous. It's about subscriptions. I watched the part of United's game today. Jim Beglin, ex-Liverpool, was more positive about United. It's almost like they have to toe the party line. It was a rubbish. I watched I watched half an hour of it. I purposely said I wasn't going to watch it, not because I was, you know, not bothered, but like Paul, they're our title rivals because we're in a title race. Two weeks ago, the title was between United and Liverpool. That's what the media want. But Manchester City will never go away. We're not. We're here forever. And I, I spoke five years ago, one of Pep's first games. I spoke about Fernandinho, um, how it's integral, and my mate Martin on a, you know, on the interview outside the Etihad, he said, "Oh, it's." Football's come back to the northwest now, and it's, it's Manchester City, Manchester United, Fernandinho against Pogba, and he said, "Is that a good matchup?" And I, I kind of scoffed. I said, "There's no comparison. Fernandinho's 35. It's a legend. Pogba's a show pony, and and Fernandez, Fernandez. You could see him today. That they, they've not got what we've got. They'll never have what we've got. And we people write us off. People write us off." I genuinely think people don't understand football. They don't understand football. You talk to people every day and they say stuff and you think, do you understand the game? Do you actually understand the game? Because if I, when I watch City, some people say I'm very critical sometimes. I know what I'm seeing. I know at the start of the season, things didn't feel right for City. Something didn't feel right. But, you know, I like to hold my hands up and say things are very right at the moment. We played with players out through COVID. Other teams have had full-strength teams. The big song and dance about Liverpool losing a couple of players. We've had players out for the whole season. And we've won the league twice. Sade out, Laporte out, Kevin De Bruyne out, and we've won the league against supposedly some of the biggest teams in the world. Um, but people, we can be critical of a performance, but over 10 years, we're Manchester City. And I keep saying that. And to say we're Manchester City, isn't just like a, it's not a get out of jail statement. We are Manchester City and we are more than just a football club. Our fans are superb. We get so much grief. Everybody's against us and I love it. 
and I'll fight it day in, day out. Some people, you know, it hurts them. It, it doesn't hurt me. It, it spurs me on because I know I have the gift of the gab. I've got the words, I've got the knowledge, and I will fight every single day for the club that I love because it's more than just 11 players on the pitch. We all know that. We all know that. That's why I do what I do. I'm not any better than anybody else, but I know I'm what I do, like you just said. And with Manchester City, we've got superb players from top to bottom, from top to bottom. We went to Old Trafford and we were embarrassing teams and we're having a poor season, apparently. You know what I mean? We don't take into account the players off, you know, pandemic probably affects our players as much as it affects anybody else. We're not getting gifts week in and week out, but the best thing is, and it always, it's kind of like a mad thing, you know, when you watch something like Britain's, bear with me on this, when you watch something like Britain's Got Talent and somebody comes on, you think, who told them they were any good? And it's probably, that's how I see all the clubs. They're told that they're better than they actually are. So when they come up against someone that's actually decent or with a good voice, they're like, Bloody hell, I'm out of my depth. And Manchester City are never out of the depth. Never, because we are the benchmark. Pep Guardiola is the greatest manager that has ever lived. And I will say that he's not even 50 yet. He's not even 50. And look at what he's done. We're talking about Mourinho and Klopp. Klopp's won one trophy in England. He's been here longer. What's Pep won in England? That's when it matters to me. They'll talk about the Champions League because they know that, you know, when we win the Champions League, but oh, well, well, you know, all this nonsense. I don't care about Champions League. I will happily win the League Cup every single season. You know what I mean? Our record, we're in a fourth final on the bounce. We've won. We've done a clean sweep. You know, even like this team of the year, I don't really care for these silly awards and accolades, but we won the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Community Shield and the Premier League. And the team of the league was our girls winning the netball, which is a great achievement. But <laughs> team of the league, team of the year, and then Liverpool win the league. Klopp's first trophy in England. In England, we are in England. This is the English Premier League. And who gets team of the team of the year? Liverpool. It's it's laughable, but it's predictable. You, you we all know it's going to happen because I, I work with people who go, yeah, but Van Dijk's the best defender in the world. Uh, Alisson's the best. Keeper in the world, Sane, you know, Mane, you know, Salad. And I'm like, well, to be honest, then you should give City credit because you've got all the best players in the world. Fernandez is better than De Bruyne. So we've actually done really well with players who aren't the best in the world. They've got the best in the world. What's the excuse for not winning uh, a clean sweep? Klopp has got into his, this is only the second time he's got past the fourth round of the FA Cup. Only the second time. That's scandalous for supposedly the best manager in the world. But yeah, the but media we get it's, I love the fact because behind all the nonsense, they're hurting. We hurt them every single day of every single week, of every single month, of every single year. We've been hurting all that lot for 10, for, even before we won the FA Cup in 2011. We're hurting them. They're obsessed with us. And I, I people say I'm obsessed with them. I'm just getting my pound of flesh because I always reference Ronda, Ronda Rousey and she's driven by spite. And that's what I'm driven by, but I love it. It doesn't hurt me. I'm not bitter. It did not ruin my childhood because United were crap when I was a kid. They were crap and they're rubbish now. They've had, you know, they're not as good as us. And that hurts them. And the fact that they have to tell everybody how massive Liverpool and United's game is, it's not. It's not <laughs> massive. They've not contested a title race. I, I said today, when have Liverpool and United ever contested anything? They haven't. 1968, City United. 1977, City Liverpool. 2011, FA Cup semi-final, City United. 2012, City United, 2014, City Liverpool, 2018, they weren't really City and United, but you know what I mean, they were second. 2019, City Liverpool. And it's like 2016 League Cup final, City and Liverpool. I can remember Spice Boys Cup final and 1977 FA Cup final when we finished 
second in the league through Dave Watson's old goal that gave them the league by a point. We didn't want a, a trophy for second place then for finishing the point behind the winners, did we? But they've invented a rivalry that doesn't exist because we're talking about football and if any United or Liverpool fan can tell me where their on-field rivalry comes from in actual games of football when they've gone to the last day of the season and it's been either Liverpool or United. The only time Liverpool and United have been in the final day decider was when Blackburn went to Anfield under Kenny Douglas. That doesn't count. But they've invented it. They've created a history that doesn't exist. I think it's more than that. I think it's the media have created it as well, aren't it? I think well, it's, they need to because you know, it's all about it's all about the dollars. It's all about subscriptions, and especially now, Richard Scudamore. This isn't slanderous because he said it. United not doing well is not good for the Premier League brand. He also said, and this is I'll mention one of United's uh, fanboys, Mr. Howson, who said when City won the league by however many points against United in 2018, he said, you might as well be Celtic. And Scudamore again said, we don't want City running away with the league. It's not good for the league. Yet when Liverpool ran away with the league, Howson never said to Liverpool, you might as well be Celtic. You know, they're massive rivals. And I didn't hear anybody from the FA saying, well, we don't want a team running away with the league. We want it to go to the last day of the season. When it did go to the last day of the season, we went to Brighton and won the league. And they weren't going, oh, what a great finish to the league. They would have been, you know, they even had, the next day, Salah, you know, they, they had Mane on the back of the paper going, next year we go one better. We've just won the league. We've just, yeah. We're on the way to a quadruple because the Community Shield does count. It's on everyone else's honours list. And they said, next season we go one better. What kind of nonsense is that? You know, where's our respect? I'm not bothered. Because I know that they're they're like <laughs> again I just come up with some random analogies, but they remind me of the bloke who goes to the bar and chats somebody up, chats a woman up, and when she says I'm not interested, come back and go, she's probably something or other. That's what they are. They they all try and <laughs> they, they never can accept that they're not that good or that people aren't interested or that they're not the best. They need to be appeased. And the media, they're all part of it. I mean, look at Look at the people who were on the radio. Look at the people who were co-commentators. It's, you know, Leon Osman's a good, but it's Scousers and next United. It's it's everywhere. Stephen Warnock, who once said, I can't see why Mark Hughes has gone to Manchester City. I laugh about that every time I hear him. It's like... Stephen, you know I mean? but it, it's, it's It's everywhere, but we've got enough intelligence. I just think City fans are more intelligent than anybody. And we've got the tools to deal with the crap that comes our way because we're still here. And they, I think they can't understand. We used to get criticised for being loyal because we never won anything. They almost expected us to walk away and it's like, what is it about you? What is it about City? And it's like, do you not understand loyalty? Do you not understand what supporting your team is all about? It's not about winning. You know, if City never won a game again, I'd still be Manchester City. I'd still have my badge on. I'd still be walking the streets with my chest out. If City lose, I make a point of wearing my City top the very next day. My mates, <laughs> I've got a mate going, don't forget that bet about United finishing above City. I spoke to him before, never said a word. This was before City even played. Never, I've not spoke to him. You know, I've got fans, I've got United mates who I thought were dead. <laughs> until the you know until Pogba tripped himself up and then he win a dodgy game against Villa and I think bloody hell you're alive it's a miracle it's almost like uh, Brian Blessed in Flash Gordon it's like Gordon's alive but that's what they're like <laughs> they, they disappear because they've, they've got as far as I always say they've got about as much stoicism as the cowardly bloody lion they, they don't know what it's about they don't know what they have no integrity. They, they, they have, they've not got what we've got. And as Pep said about John Stones, that's what City fans, male or female, have got. We've got big footballs. And we take the on the chip. Because everyone hates us. It's not just... We don't just have local rivals. Everybody hates us. And I love it. I love it. It's, it's ace. Because I know that I support the right team. I couldn't 
be any more certain as a Stratford Blue that I support the right team. Manchester City, all the poor Morley's thing about the City of Lost Souls is the best piece of writing you'll ever see of City fans who we waited and waited and waited, you know, sometimes hopeless days, but we knew, we knew that these days would come, so we, we savour them. And if it all goes away tomorrow, we'll still be Manchester City. We won't lose interest in football. We won't suddenly not pay our internet bill. We won't be off Facebook or social media, whatever. We're here. We're here. We're always here to. We always stand up and be counted. We support our club through thick and thin. We do that all the time. It's just. It's what we're about. Sorry, going on, but. Hey, listen, Andrew, that, that, that's why I've got you on, because you speak from the heart, you speak with passion, you represent most of, of our views as City fans. You, okay. you you have encapsulated in your rant, if that's the right expression. I'm happy um, with the rant. I'm happy with the rant. <laughs> but what you, you encapsulate what we all feel, or most of us feel anyway. Um, let's give you a break for a second then. And yeah, let's bring right, in Louisa, right. and, and you can give us a critical analysis of... Of, you know, is there anything there that you disagree with, for example? Um, I kind of think that, um, I, I, there, you know, there are clubs in the, at the top of the league and a bit further down that do have incredible world-class players. Um, so, you know, and they are very good players. I think that the difference uh, with Manchester City and some other teams that are in the league and other leagues is that this is always, well, not always, not for every single player, but for most players, our club tries to make it their home, make it feel like their house, like their home. And like all those players are family. And not every team can do that or not every club can do that. And I think that's one of the major issues on the other side of the city over the last few years. There's been some incredible players brought in, um, as I said, world class, but they've just not gelled. There's been problems, you know, in, in, the, in you know, the other end of the tunnel. There's massive issues in that club. Um, and you know, there has to be, it doesn't have to be, not for us, we're, we're, we're doing well, thanks very much. But for teams to succeed, they need to make the, the place the home. And that's what City does best. And it's not just through the club, it's through the fans too. Um, I'm, I know that our club is slightly losing sight of that at the minute. Um, and it would be nice for, for that focus to kind of come back to a more, this is a family club, um, but hopefully they won't sort of go too far down the wrong line of success and, you know, milking the system, if you like. Because one thing that will happen is, you know, there are some new fans uh, that have joined the ranks of City and since our success, and they will disappear. They will go away <laughs> you know if City start losing year after if we don't win another league again for 10 years you guarantee that stadium will be half empty in the next few years because people will just go um, but then um, I think it's right about the media because what I tend to pick up on is that the media if we're having a bad game the media uh, still isn't critical about us they still sort of seem to be going on about the opposition if we're having a great game what they tend to do is say how bad the opposition are playing. It's like, can you not just say how good our players are and how good that one was there? Today was great. Andy Hinchcliffe, fantastic, great commentator to have on because he was pulling up every single thing I was watching, well, not everything, but almost everything I was watching. So it was it was fabulous to have somebody on our side for once. And it's great. Can, to I, just, can I just, uh, just quickly interrupt, just to, just to <laughs> pat myself on the back here, because... Uh, Andy Inchcliffe, when he retired from football, had no interest in going into the media. Uh, but I'd known him from when he'd been a youth team player at City. And in fact, him and David White, after we drew at Bradford to get promotion that particular year, um, I was, uh, before I'd even got into professional ranks of being a broadcaster, invited David and Andy down to uh, Oldham's Hospital Radio to be my guests on a Sunday morning. And they were there for an hour and a half with me. Um, which I've, I've mentioned before to people, it seems hard to believe now that the morning after, particularly at nine o'clock in the morning for hospital radio, that two players from the team would come down for free to talk on hospital radio. So I got to know Andy quite well, you know, quite early in his career. And when he finished, I rang him up and I said, um, 
would you be interested in coming to the media? What I didn't realise was that he'd, for a long time towards the end of his career at Everton and Sheffield Wednesday, he hadn't been given any interviews at all. He just didn't speak to the media. So when I rang him up and said, do you want to do some summarising with me? Because I was commentating for the BBC at the time. Uh, he said, yes, I'll, I'll give it a go. And everybody was like, how have you managed to get even get an interview with him? And we spent then a couple of years where he was commentating with me in all the home games. Eventually went on to... Um, I think it was Key 103 at the time, but Piccadilly. And uh, eventually he, his, his uh, talent took him then to Sky. And for me to sit there and listen to, to him today, and I'm glad you praised him because he is a very good an an analyst. He doesn't tub thump. He doesn't do it in a really um, sycophantic or biased way. I think he's fair, but I think he's also extremely professional and a very good an analyst. And the fact he's a former City player means that he's one of ours. So I'm glad you've said that, but I just want to take a little bit of the credit for that. Oh, we'll, we'll give you credit for that, Ian. Yeah, I met um, Andy quite a number of years ago as well um, in, in a very funny story that I'm not going to tell on your podcast. Um, but if anyone wants to You've know... you intrigued I'll, me I'll, now. I'll I want to know what the story is. Well, no, I can't now. <laughs> <laughs> But it included players being benched and fines being handed out. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> no, 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 nothing weird like that with Andy. It's fine. He was just around at the time, so uh, I, I met him back then. Um, wasn't one of Rio Ferdinand's no. Christmas parties, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but one of the the things I will agree with as well with with uh, Andy is. Um, I think that most of the time City fans, that used to losing, um, that we are actually gracious in losing and we can pick our team apart. And I think that all of us that come onto this podcast are, are quite good quite good at that analysing um, of picking the team apart when we do badly and we lose uh, whereas I do have a United friend uh, who's liked them since before they became the champions in the 90s and at the minute all he can kind of say is oh well I'm only watching because I've got, I've got a bet on the match it's like well what, what kind of a fan is that you know you watch the, the match because they're your team and you, and you support them and you're a fan not just because you've got some money on it just because you know they might lose today like is that the mentality of of other fans around the world i don't know they just don't know how to lose graciously because they were they're, they're not kind of used to it in a way and I, I do feel a bit sorry for that that because there is a psychology to it that you just have to toughen up and and deal with it so these kind of fans that are fans of the big teams you know liverpool fans they suffered for years you know and i'm sure that they're used to it a bit now but united fans need to get a grip they need to they need to start accepting defeat um and start backing their team up a bit as well and, and watching and tuning in not just because they've got a bet on I can feel that Paul's chomping at the bit to come in here. And normally at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, you know, he's in bed. So he stayed up late for the podcast. So, yeah. Paul, the platform's yours. Well done, Paul. I, I just think that, you know, City fans, it's, it's kind of different. It's in our DNA. I think it's in our DNA. We don't, you know, I know a lot of fans who have been United fans and when they were younger were converted into being City fans. I don't know any City fans who were United fans, uh, uh, sorry, have been City fans and then gone to United or swapped clubs. I don't know any. Um, you know, we've all got a story to tell. You know, there's always, you know, we're, at, we're a City fan because we were their underdogs or, you know, I, 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 I was doggedly a City fan purely because my dad was and his, his dad was. Um, my, my, my ties to Main Road through my mum and the brass band and, and my grand living near Thornton Road. So I was always, you know, I was always going to be a City fan, but it was no point ever, I can ever, ever think, you know what, I'm not going to be a City fan anymore. I'm going I'm to watch Liverpool or I'm going to watch United. It never, ever, ever came into my head. And even through the darkest times of watching City, I've, I've considered not going. You know, I've been considering recently not going to the matches for one reason or another, but there's no way that I would not be a City fan. If I didn't go to the matches because I lived abroad, that is the only way I wouldn't go to the matches. I would still try and fly over to watch the games I could. I'd watch every game I could on the TV and I would still feel the absolute passion that, and pride that I do watching City. 
you know, for I've all got to say, in... my, my ladder when, when we were at uh, the Wembley playoff final in 99 was sat with me and we were 2-0 down to Gillingham. And, uh, and he said this in all innocence to me, he just turned to me and he said, shall we support another team now, Dad? <laughs> and I said, don't work like that, son. You, you know, it's, it's in your heart and it doesn't matter if we lose, because it looked like we were going to lose that day, let's be honest. Yeah. You know, so no, 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 another, t- another season in that, that division, doesn't matter where City, we stick, stick through thin and thin, you know, but it obviously turned around on that particular day. Well, that's what you're talking about, Paul, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we've discussed this going to some of the podcasts and radio shows you've done when I've been with you. We, we've said this, that, you know, we, I don't care how many fans go to main, uh, uh, the Etihad. I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered if we've got a sellout. I'm not bothered if we've got 5,000. I'm not bothered about the empty seats. The, what I'm bothered about is the fact that I'll be there, you know, and if I'm there with another 5,000 fans, great. I'm not bothered. You know, and I, and I said we, when we said this, Ian, didn't we? We both agreed on this that if at some point, you know, because it can, the bubble might burst. You know, we might, you know, lose a load of money. They change the rules. Whatever happens, we might end up going into the third division. Um, we'll still be there, though. You know, I, there'll be I'll, loads. I'll, won't. I'll tell you a little story that you're absolutely right on. Um, you you guys probably know this anyway. I'm not sure if any of the listeners do, but um, I used to go and watch all a lot of the local teams when I was a lot younger. So I'd be at Stockport, I would be at Old Trafford, I'd be at Main Road, I'd be at, at Boundary Park. You know, name it. I was there. I had family that had tickets all over the place, so I was watching United at Old Trafford during those successful years. I worked for a player in 94 for a couple of years um, over there so you know I kind of had no choice anyway because I was a part of that and I also did a little bit of this and that for a city play at the the exact same time so I was attending matches over you know there too and um, what I noticed happened at Old Trafford was that you know obviously the more success they had over those few years the fans started to get actually very aggressive and it was greedy and they, they wanted more and had to have more. And, it, you know, if a player had a bit of a bad game, the venom that I would be hearing in the stands around me was really genuinely putting me off from going. And, and I, I wasn't enjoying going anymore. Even if they won, they'd win 1-0. And the, the language and the, the amount of abuse these players would get for still winning a game was unbelievable uh, so I, I stopped going anyway and, and I fell out of love with, with all of it and I started traveling and you know my life changed and when um, I started to come back to football which is um, my dad's always been a blue massive blue and uh, he was we were doing a project and he sponsored we sponsored the match ball against Chelsea in 2008 and it was an amazing experience fantastic and uh, dad doesn't live here he lives down the other end of the country and he said after it you know I'm, I'm going to get myself a season ticket now um, and he said you know you want to share it but if you share it you've got to you know, pledge allegiance don't be going here there and everywhere you know so I went no that's fine yeah that's all right no that they're my team they were, they were my team back then but no I will I'm not going to support anyone else and that was 2008 um, and greatly, four years later, obviously, you know, I got the reward. But, um, you know, that that's, I would never consider, well, I wouldn't consider going anywhere else anyway, you know, let alone back over to the other side, no matter how much success they end up having. There's just no way. You're right. It's in the blood. It's there. And I'll always be a fan for the rest of my life. Surprised you're not a United fan, Andrew, you know, being a Stretford uh, lad. I'm glad you said that. I'm really, really, really glad you said that. <laughs> Manchester United are not good enough for me. That's a simple fact. Where I grew up in Stratford, I could see their tiny floodlights. I, I lived 1.8 miles from Old Trafford, straight down Chester Road, near Stratford Arndale, and I could see Old Trafford. And um, I've told this story so many times. There's no football history in my family. My parents were from Jamaica. We were into cricket. I was aware of George Best because probably about five, nine, seven, two, seven, three, everybody knew George Best. If you don't know football, but around then you would have known George Best. Um, my mum liked United. Dad wasn't really into football. My sister, my big sister, who's seven years older than me, so she was like 12, 13, quite influential. Um, she was a United fan. And I remember, I'll never forget, one day she said, so who do you support then? 
and I really incredulous. I said, City. And I was also like, why are you asking me? And um, go to school. I've mentioned Uncle Eric Bates, not my own real uncle, Peter Kane, not my real uncle. Eric Bates, Julie Bates, Olive and Paul Bates, my mate from school. Massive, massive City fans. They used to come and pick me up and take me to Central League games with four scarves out the windows for Central League games. And I remember getting books out of the library at school and the imagery of City's black and red kit with the badge in the middle. I don't know if it's the kit, because I think it's more to the badge in the middle. I know a lot of people like badges on the heart, but the home and away kit of, say, 1972, 73, with the badge in the middle. There's something about it. It's, it's, it's just that imagery and I just knew and you know at an early age and I've done the same as Paul said you know I've stood at me in the kid pass and thought I've had enough of this this is this is I'm wasting my time and then I'm not coming back and then I'll be back because I've got my season ticket and as soon as I hear the first chimes of the boys in blue I'll get a lump in my throat and think how can I ever forsake this club how can I ever let them down because they need me as much as I need them and I can never, you know, like Paul said, you know, with VIR and everything else, it's like, I think I'm falling out of luffy football, but then people, we have a voice for City and people look to us and that's not big enough, you know, we're not better than anybody else, but I think if I turn my back on City, it's like, you. I think you have to lead by example and I could never do that because it's not City that I'm turning my back on, it's football, it's the authorities, how they're ruining the game, but we can take that back. We can take football back by being there. We're always going to be there because what they want is us to walk away. They don't want City. They don't want us there. We're, we're a hindrance to them. But I like to be more that we're not just a thorn in the side, not just a bratty kid. We're, we're bigger than them. We're bigger than any of them. And going back to today, do you not, while we were celebrating with John scoring, um, did you see him kind of running and punching the air? And did you not actually feel a little bit sad that there was just that crowd just wasn't there for that moment for him, you know, to uh, for you to have been there screaming in his face? Um, I, I, I think we're going through strange times now, but they know we're there in, in heart and spirit. This, Blues who've never been to the Etihad, have never been to Main Road, but I, I've known since social media, I was surprised at how many people supported City and how passionate they were. I used to think I was the only one that was so obsessed with City until I met people from Ireland. I spoke to people from America who started supporting City because they were always in them like, why? I used to say, what is it about City? Because I couldn't understand it. I know why I support City, but I think, why would you support City? My nephew, my sister obviously moved to London in the early 80s and her sons are like 30, mid-20s. And when they first got into football, they had every right to support United because all the mates in London support United. And I said to Liam, I said, he was kind of veering towards Tottenham and said, support Arsenal for success. But that's not why I support City, obviously. I didn't know City was successful when I started supporting them. Well, that's what I said to him. Um, but it's just... We're, we're always there and it's, I just think we're the chosen club. I'm not religious, but I do think that there's some, there's a higher power, I'm not mad. There's a higher power with Manchester City, even the fact that there's no fans at the grounds and we've got the we're not really here. It just ties in. Everything ties in with what we do. It's just, it's perfect. It's perfect symmetry. I, I just don't think... I always say we'll always win the war. We might lose a few battles. I mean, the hateful eight and shameless nine, they're doing each other over day in, day out. And I love it because they should have stuck with City because at some point they'll all come to us because we are we are the team. We're, we're the team. I think, I think, can I just can I just say this? There's something... The ch uh, is it the Chelmsford game? Um, yeah, I think yeah. this, sum, this, sum, this sums up Manchester City for me. That you know they've, they've put the GoFundMe thing on for uh, to buy a, a, a virtual ticket, and I think it's so funny that you know City's involved in this, and, and we've took it again to our hearts. I know there's a few people saying, "Oh, I, I'm not comfortable with it and everything," 
And they said, you know, why would you do it? I said, well, why wouldn't we? We're Man City. This is the sort of thing City do. You know, I think they've sold 25,000, 30,000 pounds worth of tickets. You know, it's a virtual ticket. It's a £10 donation to their club because they're going to miss out. Yeah, the FA should help them and fund them. And, you know, maybe City should. I don't know. But as fans, we as because we are City fans, we've took it on board and we, we, we get it. We get it. And, and I think that's why these, there are quite a few fellow what, fans what's out that, there. Paul? What is that? I don't know it's, what that is. Something Chelmsford's doing. But... Yeah, the, the, I think it's the Chelmsford um, Supporters Club. Um, have set it up and it's a, a, a GoFundMe page where basically because because obviously there's no crowd there they would normally get a, a percentage of the receipts um, you know because there's, there's a game on, on there so there's no fans there so what they've done is they're selling virtual tickets so you know there's a link on it's all over Twitter and Facebook there's a link on there and you, you, you sign up and you can buy a virtual ticket for a tenner you can sponsor the match ball and, and all the rest of it there's even talk now of sending some flags down from City uh, to put up in the ground as well. So it's just, it's a City thing to do. It just, that's what we are. We, you know, it's like the banana things and inflatable things. And, you know, our pal John, you know, we, we've got the shark thing. And it's little things that we do. It's just, that's what makes us City, you know. And these players that you can't ever imagine being at City, you know, the players we've got now, the, qual- the, the quality, but the right players. You look at other clubs, they've got horrible players, haven't they? You know, United, these, these players there, you, they're horrible players. You know, it, it, at Arsenal, they've got horrible players. Every club's got an horrible player. You you name me one horrible, really horrible player that we've got that, you know, they might be a bit of a nuisance, but they're not really horrible, are they? They're mischievous, but they're not really players you won't think, oh, I want him playing for us. No, you're right. I didn't know that story. And, um, you know, if we do get involved in that heavily, then that's incredible. That's exactly the epitome of what I was just saying. Our our team and our club creates a home and a family. And, you know, and we know that we're a football family too, not just an individual team and we're dead selfish. You know, I mean, how how great a, a... relationship do you have because I have great relationships online with, with like West Ham fans and you know and other teams at like Everton you know it's almost like it's us against them sort of thing and I have some some I have a lot of followers that are, that are West Ham fans we seem to have this obviously connection with them at the minute and I think that's fantastic I did I, I used to have some good contact with Everton but since he started crying because of the Covid I, I kind of been that <laughs> Oh, Everton went bitter when we signed Julian Lescott and under Moyes. <laughs> oh no, it's got it's got better since it's got better since. But I just, I, oh, I just want to explain. You were mentioning about this crowdfunder thing. I thought I'll just point you towards it now. Um, in fact, I don't know if I can do a retweet. I'll do a retweet of of something uh, that's that's up there. So if anybody follows me on Twitter, you'll see me retweet on Sunday evening. And it's, uh, the, look for a Twitter account, which is called at 1887 Red Army. And, and it says on here, Cheltenham versus City crowdfunder, following the virtual success, the, the success of the virtual ticket against Mansfield, we're back with a crowdfunder. And then it has a link there. Uh, and that's how you buy the virtual ticket. And from what I can see at the moment, the latest figure is twenty three thousand two hundred and six. That's as it as it is right now. But that, of course, is at quarter past ten on Sunday evening when we're recording this. So that's just to explain it. So if anybody wants to get involved, they can do. I think I think there are two. Um, there's one that the clubs put out officially, um, yeah, and then there's right. support clubs. So just be careful which one you yeah, you, uh, you yeah. book on. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's an official one where you, you buy a ticket from the club, but you're in the home <laughs> end. <laughs> Not that it matters. Uh, but then there's this crowdfunder as well. But I guess they're both for the same cause, ultimately. So Google Absolutely. it, have a look at I think, it. I think what I would like to see, though, while we're still not going back to matches, is a bit more... Um, I don't know what decision's been made about why we're not sort of following other teams as in 
paying for your own little cardboard cut out in a sea or doing a like oh, a yeah, digital you know the digital i know they have sometimes the big screens at the end i can't remember if that was just last season um but i do think that we need to see more fans in the stands however our club can manage it and do it don't know what you guys think I know in the tunnel when um, Pep came out, I'm sure I saw this on City TV or, or on their Twitter or something like that. As Pep came up the tunnel, there was a wall of fans and he was waving to them. I don't know if they were kids or whether they were adults or whatever. I couldn't quite grasp who they were. But there are those types of things. I noticed they took that, that big wall out inside the stadium, which is what you're referring to. Now, as a journalist, I get to go to Boundary Park uh, behind closed doors at the moment, and they have cardboard cutouts in the stand, as do Wigan Athletic as well. And uh, the problem with that is that whilst in principle I understand what you're saying, it does look, it can look a bit naff, especially if there's not like thousands and thousands of them. So I'm not sure where I stand really on that. Um, but personally, I think we're there in spirit. Now, one thing I want to do just to finish off this week's podcast is just ask a topical question just to get your views on it, really, which is about this directive about non-hugging. Now, I went to the women's game earlier today, again, as a journalist, and I actually took a couple of pictures and tweeted, and the women did a virtual hug, uh, so they didn't actually touch each other. They stood in a circle and 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 still put their hands in the middle and went, way and all that business before the game started. Um, and when they scored, and they scored seven goals, by the way, against Aston Villa, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they never jumped on each other or touched each other. Um today and let's not just make this a city thing uh, you know but we've seen let's so let's move away from city we've seen premier league footballers hugging and kissing now i've seen fans on twitter saying what difference does it make they're in a, a bubble anyway and i and i get that but i also think but it's the signal it sends out in the times that we're in it is and maybe it's just symbolic that you don't do it and pepper's defended it slightly by saying how can you take the emotion out but the women have, have managed it. And when a player comes back to his former club and decides he's not going to celebrate if he scores, he manages to do it then. So personally, I think symbolically, even though I realise that it might not make that much difference in the grand shape of things, not hugging and kissing at the moment, symbolically is the right thing to do. Um, but but what, what are your opinions on that? Well, I, I, I'm just going to jump in. Um, I kind of uh, agree um and not just for symbolic reasons but just for the division reasons of it's still them and us um you know they're still getting to go out and do their day job and yada while you know i i'm still sort of up and down suffering <coughs> my mental health over all of this um and i would me and mum stood on our doorstep at midnight uh on new year's eve new year's day uh, we're watching you know some of the fireworks go off on the streets around us and all we wanted to do was was hold each other and hug each other uh, ju even just me and her you know let alone my friends let alone when you came by just before Christmas Ian all I wanted to do was was just hug you and hold you. and you know what and as somebody that is very sensitive and very emotional I just want someone to hold me and I just want someone to hug me um, as well and to see on the telly when all this COVID is still going on, it actually makes me feel even worse. It makes me feel like, oh, oh, you know, I don't know, oh, I just want someone to hug me. <laughs> and they're just being able to hug each other. <laughs> so you're right, maybe they should just stop because it's not fair. I'm going to go out of my mind <laughs> if someone doesn't hug me soon or don't get this vaccine soon. Andrew, I know you work with a lot of people um, who are suffering perhaps from different situations in their life. How do you yeah, feel yeah. about it? Um, well, I kind of think that, I know, again, I'll try not to go on, but we've got players pulling each other, you know, from different bubbles. You know, we're playing the game. If, you know, it's instinctive, but I think now that it's being said to not to do it, I think players will suddenly realise that they're not supposed to do it, or not supposed to, or they'll have to stop doing it because they know. And I, I read an, I read some of it where we got slated again because I always noticed it's a picture of City players hugging and then somebody even did a hatchet job saying Fernandez is showing the way. And But my take on it is 
most of Fernandez's goals are penalties, so he knows he's going to score. Our goals are instinctive in the, you know, in the passage of play. So if you're going to take a penalty, you know you're either going to score or you're going to miss. Whereas a ball coming into the box and you head it, might go in, might not. So it's instinctive to celebrate. We will change, you know, we're not scoring as many goals anyway. You know, we're not scoring nine and ten goals and getting criticised for scoring so many. So we're not celebrating as much anyway. But it's fair dues, you know, players, you know, players are human. And a lot of, we've seen VAR, football has become very rigid. And to me, I'm not an overly emotional, I'm a passionate person. And football's about passion. And the passion's been taken out of the game. I mean, understand we're in a pandemic, but the passion's taken out. We go to games now. One of the, like Paul was saying before, the, the only reason I would not go to football when we're allowed back in properly, not, you know, social distancing, is because of VAR. Because I want to see a ball go into net and celebrate, not go, oh, they're going to rewind that and try and find a fault with it. They're taking out the, um, they're taking out, Spontaneity. Yeah, in spontaneity, that's that's the word I was, I was trying to find. And I think with the celebrating, that's fine. It's funny, really, because watching the legend King Colin Bell scoring goals and just doing the running back, you know, I thought, well, maybe we could just, in his memory, celebrate like Colin used to do, no hugging and kissing and stuff for now. But it will take time because it's instinctive. Football's instinctive and it's a passionate game and it's a contact sport. So it's almost like, well, we keep possession so people don't come near us because we have the ball a lot. So are they saying during lockdown and this pandemic that footballers shouldn't be close to each other? You know, not just to celebrate because you watch a corner. I watched a corner today. I've seen shirts being pulled. City women this morning, this, this afternoon, early this afternoon, City's men. Any, I don't watch that many games. I just like to watch City because any other game I find a disappointment because our level is so high that you watch another game and it's just disappointing. But I see it. I see every game City play and players are, you know, pulling shirts and fouling and, you know, and I'm almost like watching how they kind of, at the end of the game, if you shake hands or do whatever, and I see it. Sam Aldice the other day had his mask go, you know, halfway down his face, probably chewing tubes and spitting out. It's, we're not kind of the COVID police, but I just think it's players will not celebrate as much now they've been told not to, but they've, probably, they've not been told to. So, um, you know, I'm still working, you know, I know how bad it is for a lot of people. It's difficult in our work environment telling people that we support that you can't see, you know, your family. We've had to deal with that for eight and nine months. And I understand that I, you know, not having a go at it, but if I see players celebrating, especially six players, I think we've just scored. I don't think, you know, but my circumstances are different, so I'm not, not having a go. But we will, I think, you know, we'll be more mindful because it's been brought up. Players will be mindful because every player, everyone does it. Like I say, we don't score that many, but we miss most of our penalties anyway. But like I say, I'll go back to Fernandes and the article that was written in the paper about he's a benchmark scoring, but he scores penalties, so he knows he's going to score. So it's almost like, yeah, you scored or you've not. And again, ball comes into the box and John Stone sticks it, sticks it in. He's not expecting to score, so it's like a, it's like a, an outburst of elation. You know what I mean? So, um, but, yeah, but he, he ran off up the pitch anyway and like just, yeah, just punching yeah, the yeah. ass. It's like he won't hug, everyone hugged him anyway. He was trying to probably stay away from everybody. He was scared to death of getting it because he didn't want to lose his spot. Yeah, fair <laughs> is. Fair get away think, from me! <laughs> I, think, I think today kind of summed it all up, really. I mean, you watched, you watched City play. Um, he scored four goals and I forget which goal it was, but Fernandinho, they all went up hugging each other. Fernandinho was like, I think it was Gundogan's goal. Uh, Fernandinho was like, get away, get away, and you know, and all the rest of it. So the players are aware of it. I mean, you look at United again, I'll, I'll bring them up because they, they seem to do this. We don't do this. Um, they do all the dibbing and the dabbing, don't they? And all the, the pog, you know, and, and all that sort of business. And they, they can choreograph that. To you know, to with you know, like they like hot gossip, aren't they? You know, then that team and dancers from uh, top of the pop. Hans people, yeah, Hans yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> they like that, aren't they? Um, so they can choreograph that 
So you're telling me that you know they, they run off to the corner and do this the silly little dibbing and dabbing thing. So that takes real thought. So surely to do nothing takes even less thought, doesn't it? I don't know. Might be wrong. Perhaps you know I've got that bit wrong. But today yeah. I'll say that United and Liverpool were absolutely exemplary in their goal celebrations today. I was just going to say, Paul. I did see one of them. And aren't we doing our bit for? The pandemic by not allowing other teams to score as well to celebrate. But I'll tell you what, considering we were far behind, we're now on 16 goal difference with Spurs and yeah. Liverpool. And I think one, one on to win the title, and we're still not even halfway through the season. And on that yeah. note, let's end this podcast. Um, thanks very much indeed to Andrew, who's been Thank fantastic, you. as I knew he would be, to Paul and Louisa, who are always fantastic. Um, and thank you very much for listening. Thanks to charleslouis.co.uk for their support of this particular podcast. Remember, if you're thinking of uh, taking out a mortgage or moving property, give them a call. The number's on the website. And thank you very much indeed for listening to this edition of the Forever Blue podcast. This week, City play Villa uh, in midweek. Um, hopefully that game goes ahead. I know there's obviously issues of COVID. Uh, and then Cheltenham in the FA Cup uh, next Saturday. So we'll record another podcast on Sunday evening in UK time, which will be available for you Sunday night or Monday. Thanks very much. Really appreciate you downloading and supporting us and subscribing and all that sort of thing. But remember, more than anything else, there's only one thing that really matters. It's great to be a blue, isn't it? Always, always and forever. What the blues? <laughs>